0: Good to be here at yeah. Raven Daytona Church. Amen. Blessed Lord, good to be here with our uh, all of our friends and family. I, I share Pastor uh, Alex Simmons. I know all of you guys. It's good to be a part of uh, that. Really, that uh, reaffirmation of covenant uh, between uh, Pastor Thomas and Lord. You know, it's an interesting season, not just uh, here, but even at home. We get all these marriages. You know, you guys are coming up on how long now? Nine months and. Uh, uh, I think Pastor Brian and, and Polly, what's, what's, there's a, eight months, just the one that you guys got married, and uh, we just had Gideon and Christina uh, get married, those guys grew up in the, yeah, and I was going to mention, just, uh, I'm working my way up, to this. <laughs> they're all going at Frank and Ashley, Frank and Ashley did, and spent their time in the in the Caribbean as well, you guys were there about the same time as, uh, they were just wow. an island south of you folks in, in Puerto Rico, y'all have waved. Across the, the but, uh, You know, folks, I, I believe that that is, uh, I don't believe it's by accident. Uh, you know, I, I look at the Word of God and, and see the covenant of marriage and how it mirrors the covenant that we have in Christ. I think God's bringing things together and bringing people together. I believe that He's not just uh, bringing separate people together, but I believe He's doing a work even in existing marriages as well. So it's really exciting to, to see those times. Uh, I sat down with Gideon and Christina the other night. They came into the office just talking after they got back and just... You know, just asking some things for it. I said, here's the, here's the thing. I said, You guys have been incredible long You really have. I said, Well, what you're going to see is something, you know, your capacity to serve God and be effective in the kingdom increase, not just twofold, but many fold over. And I'll say this to you guys as well. Because we look at scripture, the two is better than one, and the threefold cord is not quickly broken. But when you enter into that covenant of marriage, you begin to see what that means. I think to myself, after going on now this year, 31 years of marriage, and, uh, and, and ministry together. And there's things that I've accomplished because of the relationship with my wife and what she's brought into the equation and vice versa that we never could have accomplished on our own. And so I, I think God is doing that because the time is so near. So he's bringing people together. Well, We do this thing at the training center where we're working out sometimes. We, we call it the Indian run. And you line up, some of you guys have done it, five, uh, five people. And the last one in line, he takes off and takes the lead. Then you go about another hundred yards and that person. And what it does, it speeds up everybody. It's kind of like here at the track that people start drafting off of one another. And I think that's what the marriage covenant done. It allows us to draft off of one another in that relationship. When one needs encouragement, the other does as well. And so it really helps to sustain the body of Christ. So, man, I just rejoice in, in you guys and, and some of you still on the cusp of being newbie-weds after nine months. And, it's the thing that God is bringing together. But good to be here uh, once again at Raymond Daytona, and thank you, Pastor Alex, for allowing us to uh, to continue in our in our study. I knew that I was going to be here, and I told him, I said, "Hey, what do you not planned for Wednesday? Uh, if, if we don't have to interrupt this uh, yeah. uh, teaching on on Galatians, we don't, because like you said, it's an ongoing thing. And you guys know me, especially when it comes to expository teaching. I, I really don't get in a hurry because you know the Word's been around for two thousand years." and I tease people about living to be 145. So I, I got a few years to get through Galatians at least. But uh, thank you for allowing us to, to do that. Also, uh, Caleb Phipps has made all of these previous classes on, on uh, Galatians available through our podcast. And uh, I had to make it up to tell you where to find it. But if you want to know, it's, it's somewhere. I think Lucy may know where it's at, where all of our Romans and all of the... the sermon, is it sermon? It's sermon.net sermon.net, Put my name, Radio Ministries in, you'll find me. He's, he's taken them from video format and turned them into mp3s. And so all of those are on there. I think he just simply completed our study through Jude, probably 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John are all on there. So we've done a lot of things. And obviously, kind of the flagship of that that got started many years ago was our 196 hours through the book of Romans, which, uh, uh, man, that was just Jesus time. We've done that right here in the Atona Beach, and we did it. Five days a week uh, when scheduled for mid. So, uh love to do that. I believe that there's just no shortcut to really spending time in the work. So, once again, thank you, Pastor Alex, for allowing me this opportunity to continue that. Our, our team at the training center, they're gathering up to the chapel, so they're locked online. <laughs> so, once again, uh, anyway, let me kind of bring you guys up to pace where we're at. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, what we've done is we kind of examined. Uh, the four expectations that are associated uh, with the spiritual condition of those that are saved. And, and it's not just saved, but saved through faith and the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And if you're the one that takes notes, I always encourage people to take notes unless you've got an amazing photographic memory or you can go back and watch the video, of course. But there's, there ought to be some expectation from a relationship that we have with Christ Jesus. I will produce that. You guys have found that in your nine months of marriage. There's an expectation that you have. There's an expectation that, that Frank and Ashley had when they, they entered into that covenant agreement. There's an expectation, it's not like let's just be some free willy person and hey, just hope for the best. No, you go into it, especially if you've had some good premarital counseling, there's some expectations that you bring into it. But folks, what I think has happened in this day and age, and, and I don't think it's just this day and age, I think it's something that's been happening for, for probably a couple generations is people are entering into a relationship with God, or a so-called relationship with God, with no real expectations. No L, no expectations from God, and no expectations uh, uh, towards God either. And so it becomes this thing, which is this, almost this clandestine type of approach, where we really don't know what's happening, and, and we're kind of saved, we're kind of a believer, but we really don't know what it looks like. And so as we've been studying the last couple of weeks, I'm in the third chapter, if you've got your, your Bibles, Galatians uh, chapter 3, And we've been talking about kind of the four spiritual conditions or expectations you have. And I'm going to give these to you quickly before I move on. And the first expectation that you should have in a relationship with Christ is that of righteousness. If I have a relationship with Him, it should produce righteousness or the condition of being made conformable to God's standards. Now, folks, listen. When I'm talking about standards, I'm talking about principles that God brings into our lives through that relationship. There's certain things because I'm married to Melanie that there's an expectation from her. There's a certain decorum. There's a certain type of love and adoration and care that I'll have for her because of that relationship of marriage that I would not have for anyone else. And so it's the same thing in our relationship with God. There's a principle that it's built upon. Some of you guys that are newlyweds, if, uh, if you've been around me for a of time, you know, Melanie and I, this November, will be 31 years of marriage. And I've said, you know, in 31 years of marriage, we didn't wake up every day liking one another. Some of you guys have been married for a length of time. You can say amen to that. But I tell you what, here was the difference maker in our life. We did wake up every day in 31 years in love with Jesus. And that was the difference maker. You know why? Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same beyond uh, any type of hardship, any circumstance we can find ourselves in, any disagreement Oh, uh, the fact that, that when she uh, when she met me, I had long flowing hair and I don't have any hair. So, But Jesus is the same. You see what I'm saying? And so he is that that true north. He's that one that we can always look for, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so there's a standard and a principle in that. But see, many people enter into a marriage like they enter into a relationship with God. They believe it's a time of passion. And yes, shouldn't we be passionate about God? Shouldn't we be passionate in our relationships with one another? But what you're going to find is passion is largely built upon a thing called interest. As long as I'm interested in something, I'm passionate about something. You get people that have hobbies. And they, well, my, my, my new hobby is uh, skateboarding. And so they spend, they're spend, they passionate about it. So they're buying the skater shoes and they're buying the skater gear and they're spending their money on the longboards and all this stuff. They're going to the skate park and they're passionate about it. But they turn an angle and they, they get out of practice and no longer are they passionate about it. And so they move on to the next thing that they're passionate about. Folks, listen, as long as your, your, your passion is built upon interest, it's always going to be waning. Because that's what passion is typically built upon. But there's something in Christ Jesus in a principle. In a principle where it's not built upon interest, it's built upon a genuine intimacy. And so righteousness isn't produced because I'm interested in Jesus. It's produced because I'm intimate. With Jesus, And so that relationship ought to bring with it something that imputes itself into me. That doesn't make righteousness something that I do when I feel like it. But it's righteousness because that's who I am. And so when I read the 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If any man is in Christ. Not as not any man is interested in Christ. He's a new person. And old things passed away and everything become new. But if any man is in Christ. If I'm intimate in that relationship. Something happens and undoubtedly in, in a room such as this and, and people of all ages and backgrounds and persuasions there was probably a time in your life that your quote-unquote your salvation or your interest whatever was built upon an interest in christ man, it seemed like the thing to do i'm saved because i don't want to go to hell man all my friends are going to church it's better than than what i was and, but you always found it waning and you always go you know, one minute maybe you were you're, you were intent on that relationship you were seeking god you were in the words you were in prayer but When something happened or or began to falter, you lost interest in that. But folks, there's an intimacy that comes when we're in Christ Jesus that changes everything and it eliminates the options. And so you can tell the difference between a person that's intimate with Christ versus a person that's interested in Christ. The same way you can tell if a person is interested in in a person of the opposite sex versus a person that's intimate. You know, before you guys entered into the marriage covenant, you guys did, you had a great interest in one another. You did. But you know what? At any time prior to coming to that covenant agreement of marriage, you could have walked away from it. And you could have said, listen, I missed it. That wasn't God. But once you came into that place where God has joined together, don't let any person put asunder. There was an intimacy that came and those that were two people now became one flesh. You became one. And you know what? Now you don't have other options. You can't say, well listen, you're not meeting my need today, you're not cooking the way I want, you're not cleaning the way, you're not providing the way. And so listen, I've got a few other options out there, buddy. I want you to know that. You ain't the first person that that showed interest in me. But once you come to that relationship with Christ Jesus, the same way, I don't have any other options. Come hell, come high water, come difficulty, come trials or tribulations or nakedness or peril or the sword. You know what? I've got to set my face like flint and set my affections on so those things are above and not beneath. And so righteousness is produced in my life. And so the second expectation I should have in my relationship with Jesus is of children. Or having the inherent conditions and characteristics of God. There's something that comes out of my life that looks like Him. That's the offspring of my life. Yeah. That's the, the fruit. I would that you bear much fruit. We are the children of God. We are reproduced in His image. And He expects that you shall know a tree by its fruit. And so there ought to be something in us as the children of God that looks like God. You know, hopefully when you look at Caleb, you look at Caleb and you say, man, she looks just like her mom. You, you look at Megan, you say, man, she looks like her mama. You look at Hope, you say, she looks just like, or whoever it may be, man, you look just like your mama, or you look just like your daddy. Why is that? Because there's a DNA that runs through you that cannot be separated from who you are. And so every single one of us, we ought to bear the resemblance of who He is. The third thing is Justification or being admitted to a place or condition of right standing with God. Folks, listen, one thing I got over a long time ago, when I got a revelation of who Christ Jesus is and who I was in Him, and it ceased to just be something I was interested in because other people were, and it became an intimate relationship, and I became in right standing with God, I got past that whole condemnation deal. Wow. And so I never was that molly grub guy that was up one minute and down the other. My, I wasn't like some pendulum swinging way tied to this emotional high, and, or you wouldn't find me down in the dumps. What it, was, it became a steady as she go. I'm justified. I'm in right standing with God. And so, just as God is unshakable and immovable, I I'm want to be the same type of person. I want to see that justification in my life that brings me in a right standing with God. I'm not always having to look over my shoulder, wonder if God's going to crush me, wonder if I'm going to be uh, disobedient to Him. Why? Because I'm in love with Him. I'm in right standing with Him. And so, I would never want to do anything that would violate that relationship. And so when I'm truly justified by faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, man, it brings a uniformity and a unity into my life with the Spirit of God. And the fourth thing that we ought to expect is to be blessed. Now, folks, when I'm talking about blessed, I'm not talking about some type of financial remuneration. Evidently that's evident because Doug was up here taking up offer. He shook his head. He's like, I don't guess nobody's going to give tonight. I'm not talking about that type of blessing. I'm talking about something beyond that. Because you know what, folks? Dollars and cents and all those other things that we could build in this world, they're going to fade away. But I'm talking about benefiting because of a place, condition, or relationship with God. I've got to benefit because of who I am in Christ Jesus. We'll have people on the streets of New Orleans as we're preaching on, on the streets, and somebody will come by, one of our team, and they'll snap a picture, maybe be witnessing to somebody, and the person will say, Listen, I want you to take my picture. And I'll just kindly put my hand on their shoulder. I said, Listen, they're not taking your picture, they're taking my picture. Look at me! I said, "I'm kind of a big deal." Said, what do you mean you're kind of a big deal? I said, "Listen, I'm kind of a big deal. You don't you don't know who my daddy is, do you? Because if you knew who my daddy is, you'd know why they take my picture. You know why I'm a big deal because I'm am a child of the, of the living God. So they're not taking your picture. You just happen to be in the frame. And so there's a benefit to be walking with God. And some there's a confidence. And so I, I have a confidence and a faith in who I belong. That's one of the benefits. I've got a favor that comes out of my life. It's a benefit. Yes. I've got the ability, and the Word of God says that every place that the sole of my foot treads yes. on is mine to take. And so I can stand in the middle of 50,000 people on Bourbon Street and preach the gospel, and I'm not fearful and I'm not intimidated. Yes. Why? Because if you lay a finger on a servant of the most high God, he may just suck the life right <laughs> out of you. So there's a protection. I don't have to fall uh, to the prey of the adversary. Why? Because it's the wicked that flee when no one pursues. Yes. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. So boldness, confidence in Jesus is one of the benefits that I have for him. So there ought to be some conditions, some things that we're expecting of. Righteousness, children, justification, blessing. But I'll, one of the things I often ask our interns, and other that will come through there at uh, the training center is, are you saved? Are you born again? People in the air say, yes, I'm I'm, I'm born again, right? You're born again? One of them passed down. We've got to work that out for us tonight. <laughs> I mean, how many of you are, are, are saved? You're, you're you're born again. I mean, David, you're, you're saved born again. You're my pick on my right hand. So, How do you know that you're born again? Are you saved? How do you know you're saved? Because the Holy Spirit lives? How do you know that? Are you listening to it? Because the Holy Spirit's inside of him. Isaiah, are you saved? How do you know you're saved? By the fruit that shows in your life. Amen. So we know we're saved because there's something in this. Now think about what Romans 8.16 says. And you'll see where I'm going with this in just a second. The word says the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I'm not saved because I go to church. I'm not saved because I prayed a prayer. I'm not saved because there was enough water in the tank. I'm not saved because I went through First Communion or, 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 or went to confession at the right time. I'm not saved because I've got the right uh, lambskin hanging on my wall, saying I went to the right schooner. I'm not saved because of those things, right? But it's the Spirit itself that bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. That bearing witness literally means to walk in close relationship with, to walk together, and to exhibit a closeness Or a fidelity. And so the Spirit walks in close relationship with me. And I with Him. We walk together. We demonstrate a closeness or a fidelity. And so it's the idea of becoming similar to the degree that it's difficult to distinguish between the two. So how do you know you're saved? Because I am in such relationship with Him that it's hard to tell us apart. It's hard to tell when Logan stops and where the Holy Spirit in his life starts. It's hard to tell where Troy Morris stops and what the Spirit of God is doing in his life starts. Folks, that's the type of relationship that he bought for us. We we studied a few, a few I was going to say a few weeks ago, might have been a few months ago now, from Galatians 2:20, that I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. In the life that I now live. Is through faith in the finished work of what Christ did. It's indistinguishable between the two things. It's through faith in knowing Him and living in Him and abiding in Him. And it's not feeling. It's not a certain prayer. It's not membership. It's a marriage and the two becoming one. And so, Melody bears my name. And hopefully there's certain characteristics about one another that we we share. People have said this for years. And you say, have you noticed people, the longer they're married, the more they look on them? Well, Lord help her. Amen. But you know what there are? There's certain things that you begin to pick up and you begin to finish one another's sentences. And so they don't know. And we tease sometimes she'll be thinking something, I'll finish it, and and vice versa. Why? Because we've been intimate for so long. We know how one another thinks. We know where we're with what that one of the games that we play it's it's hey who does that look like we've done it for years we're people watchers and you know what ninety nine times out of hundred we're gonna nail it it might be some obscure person that we haven't ran into in years but and I tell you don't overthink it It will name that person that's exactly who it was. Why? Because we're seeing through the same type of set of eyes. Why? Because we've trained ourselves to think along the same line. Ephesians 5 uh, says this. It says, as the Scripture says, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two, what? become come one flesh. They're united into one. He said, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Not two people trying to coexist. Not people just... Trying to somehow make it today. But it's the two become one. And so when I'm born again, I know it because I become one with Christ Jesus. I have the same attitude. I have the same mind. I have the same thoughts. I I, I have the same desires. And so we say this on the street to people all the time. Listen, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and talks like a duck... Chances are it's enough. If it looks like the world and acts like the world and lives like the world and desires after the world it's probably the world. And the Word says love not the world neither the things that are in the world that any man that loves the world that the love of the Father is not inside of them. First Thessalonians 5.22 Abstain even from the appearance of evil. Don't even look like the world. Don't talk like them. Don't have any semblance of those things. But something's happened in the church we thought to ourselves let's become more like the world to win people to Jesus. My thinking is let's become more like Jesus To win people out of the world to Christ Jesus. We're never going to be able to compete with worldliness. And we should never try to compete with worldliness. But what we can do, we can compete by righteousness. Because if He's lifted up in our hearts and lives, what does He do? He begins to draw men to Him. And so if we come to Christ, and we're walking in union with Him, and we become indistinguishable in our heart and the characteristics of the fruit of our life, what does that mean? look like. And I'm going to jump ahead uh, just a little bit. You don't have to turn now, I'll read it quickly. It's a very familiar part of Galatians, which I'll uh, be to probably in 2023. Galatians 5:19 through 23, it says that the acts of the flesh or the works of the flesh are obvious. What the world looks like is obvious. When I when I hit on yours just say amen, <laughs> <laughs> they say you do that, people will start doing it. Sexual immorality, oh, amen! Wow. Impurity, <laughs> debauchery, Idolatry, witchcraft, y'all can stop, amen, and this is a wicked church. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions, envy, drunkenness, sexual orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you can look at those things and you can say, listen, If those things are evident in my life, you know, maybe you're not so far on the side where you're in some type of of, of, of deep sexual immorality, but what about selfish ambitions? What about dissensions? What about jealousy or discord? Folks, you know what? You look like the world. There's something disconnected. You're acting, talking, and walking like a duck, and so you must be a duck. There's not a union. There's something that distinguishes you from Jesus. If I claim to have a relationship with Him, Koinonia, 1 John 1 and 6 but I continue to walk in darkness. Those things that were described right there, He doesn't say I'm on a journey. He doesn't say somebody hurt my little feelings. He doesn't say i bitter love next time. He doesn't say that. He said if I claim to have a relationship with God, to walk in lockstep with Him, to be born again, to be saved, sanctified, producing the fruit of righteousness, having the characteristics of God, but I'm still walking in that darkness, He says that I am a liar. Yeah and I do not the truth. And we know the outcome for that from Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. But the fruit, here's the good news, but the fruit of the Spirit or that which bears witness or that which walks in close relationship, that which demonstrates fidelity, that which proves that I'm saved is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, Against such, there is no law. So, if I'm bearing those things, that proves something. If I'm not, which all it takes is just a, 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 a really just a very honest assessment of self. Which one do I look the most like? Do I look more like the world, or would people say I look more like Jesus? Am I more in lockstep and in, in, in similitude and similarity to the things of the flesh? or the things to the Spirit. Well, what that's going to do is that's going to tell you who your master is, who your daddy is. And so the question is, how do you know that you're saved? It's because my life, my heart, my attitude, my countenance, my words, my relationships are a reflection of my saviors. I think, I live, I do, I walk, I think in close harmony with Him. So this is summarized. We see it in First John chapter 3, verse 10 that tremendous epistle. It says, now we can tell. I love it when when he just kind of pulls the curtain back. He says, okay, let's stop uh, uh, fumbling around this. This is cut to the chase. He says, now we can tell who the children of God are and who the children of the dead. Anyone who does not live righteously or anyone who does not live like Jesus and does not love other believers or love like Jesus does not belong to God and thus, they are a child of the devil. Yeah, right. Folks, I've met people that have claimed to be believers, not just on Purpose Street, where obviously I frequently minister, but just in churches even. Yeah. They claim to be a child of God, but literally they, they look like the devil. And I'll tell them, listen, I know you. They said, you've never met me in your life. And I said, well, I know you because I know your daddy. Uh-huh. Well, how do you know my father? I said, because you act and you live just like him. Well, yeah. what's his name? <laughs> it's the devil. <laughs> yeah. well, that's it. They're like, but I'm the pastor of this church. (laughs) 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 Folks, here's the thing. Everything that I have both asked and presented today, when I'm talking about these things, folks, it's vitally important. Really, as we study not just Galatians, but we really begin to see what we're confronted with in this day and age in church life. And, and we're going to look at this. Remember, though, I want to, I want to, I want to kind of bring you up to date on, on, on kind of the context of Galatians. This was a church that was learning birth through the revelation given to the Apostle Paul in regards to the redemptive work of the cross. It was. It was a church that was birthed out of that. It was so, and if a bit of those times. And if you ever been in those times, and man, God, you're, you're just in the presence of God, and God just speaks something to you, you say it. You're thinking, man, where did that come from? Because you know it's not you. Somebody was saying something. We were talking about that Romans teaching. Caleb Pimbs was telling me. he's like, man, where did you? Have, he said, man, you said something I had never heard before. And I said, brother, until I said it, I'd never heard it before either. I said, I can't take credit for some of that stuff because, man, that stuff was right off the skillet. And so that church was birthed right out of the skillet. It wasn't secondhand. It wasn't one of these prepackaged foods. It was a church that was burst straight out of a revelation that Paul the Apostle received from God that made salvation and that redemptive relationship possible through faith in what Jesus did. And the reason it's vital is because Paul's revelation and what he shared with the church at Galatia didn't fall into the trappings of familiarity like it did with some of the other apostles. And here's what I mean by that. Some of the apostles had walked with him. Peter, James, and John, some of the others, the, the two Judas's, these people knew him in the natural. Yeah. Chances are they knew some of his family. Obviously, they knew some of his brethren. They knew his, his mother. And so everything had to be filtered through that familiarity. And what I mean by that is this. It's like, okay, man, I believe by faith that, man, this is the son of the living God. But you know what? I met Mary. He got a mama just like I got a mom. You know, Joseph... Maybe dead by that point. I'm not real sure. What it says. Scripture don't mention much about it. Probably was. And you know what? We we heard about you know Joseph because he was the son of a carpenter. And so I, I just got to put that off. Yeah, there's something bigger than this. Like, yeah, I understand the incarnation. And so they had a familiarity that literally kind of set a trap for them. And so even when Peter would come up, we know this from uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, who do men say that I am? Well, they had to work through the familiarity. Some say you're this prophet, or some say you're Jeremiah or Isaiah, some say you're John. But who do you say to that? Peter, in one of them off-flash, hot-out-the-skillet moments, he said, You're Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Peter, listen, because of your familiarity, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You got it from the Spirit. Well, but familiarity kicked in a little bit later when Jesus began to share about having to go to Jerusalem and suffer these things. He said, No, you're not going to do that. And he began to rebuke Jesus. Well, what happened to me, the son of the living God? Now you're going to rebuke me? And he said, "Get thee behind me, Satan! You're no longer walking in lockstep or agreement with me. Now you're identifying with the things of the world. Why? Because you're more concerned with the things of men than you are the things of God. So, folks, listen. What can take you out of that that relationship is being more concerned with the things of men. Come on, come on. And you know the things yeah. of the men we're most concerned with? The things of us. Yes, come on. How does that make me feel? What did that do to me? You put me in a predicament or you hurt my feelings or I feel underappreciated. Well, get over it! Jesus Christ hung up on a cross that you can't get any more uh, unappreciated than that. You can't get any more disdain than that. But what did He say? From the position of the cross, He looked out on that multitude that had rejected Him and crucified Him, those that He had opened their blind eyes, those that He had fed, those that He had conducted miracles for, and now was offering Himself as a sacrifice between two malefactors factors upon, and, and going to be soon buried in the tomb. He looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So the one that could get bent out of shape didn't get bent out of shape. But See, when we get bent out of shape, what it says is what they told him. Why don't you come off the cross and save yourself? How do you know you're saved? Well, because I don't pray to prayer. How do you know you're saved? Because I go to church. How do you know you're saved? Because I sung the right song. How do you know you're saved? Because I don't do all of these things. Folks, listen, I could do all of those things, and at best, I'd be a self-righteous person. And Come at best, on. self-righteousness is filthy be uh-huh. A pile of stuff that's going to be in the rubbish heap. But the second that I put my affections yes. upon Jesus Christ, yes. I'm walking lockstep Come with on. him. It causes Troy Bond to decrease. decrease and provides the opportunity for Jesus to increase in my life. And yes. I just begin to fade into the background and Jesus Christ becomes glorified. Paul, the apostle saw that version of Jesus. It doesn't say that he ever had any, any run-ins with the, the, the Jesus before the, 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 the crucifixion. And so his first encounter, that revelatory encounter, was on that road to Damascus. When he went, uh, he, he was going to Damascus to, 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 uh, to get letters so he could persecute Christians. And all of a sudden, he had an encounter. Well, we know 14 years later, he ended up going to Jerusalem, but we know the story from there. And so he delivered a message to the Galatian church that was hot off the skillet. And so that church, having been birthed in freedom and having been realized through that revelatory work through faith, had now allowed themselves to get sucked back in to the bondage of legalism, literally through a systematic and deliberate act of these Judaizers that had come in. I'm amazed that you're so removed from this gospel to another gospel which is not a gospel at all that found themselves removed from revelation or removed from intimacy to just a place of interest. Something else came along that interests us. There's the, the Judaizers. They brought a law. They brought the legalism that sounds interesting. It sounds like something hearing. Hmm, that must be uh, neat. That must be something that should. That sounds profound. Folks, there's nothing more profound than Christ and Him crucified in the power of God. Isn't that what Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2? I'm determined not to know anything but Christ and Him crucified. I'm not concerned about blood moons. I'm not concerned about any of these other things or, or, or what person's doing this or whatever. What I'm concerned about is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God who abides in me through faith and I know, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16 that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can be a base. I can be a bound. But as long as I'm content, as long as I stay at that place and I know one day I'll stand before God and He'll look into my life because of my faith in Jesus, not because I jumped in the right hoops or I preached in the right place, but because of my faith in Jesus, He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm not going to have to lay claim to a prophetic word or working in the miraculous or doing these great things. I'm not going to have to do that. Even though I prophesy, even though I cast out devils, even though I speak with new tongues, none of those things qualify me for those relationships. Those are just the benefits that I talked Woo! about when I went to come on. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. And so there's a standard that comes into our heart and life that I don't have to deviate to some law or to some legality. And so these false teachers presented a yoke of bondage to these converts and really all it did was sought to undo the very work of grace that made it possible for them to partake. In the righteousness of God. Folks, you show me a person that is always discouraged. I'll show you a person that's bonded to some type of legalism. You show me a person that's constantly at odds and contentious in relationship. I'm going to show you a person that is bonded to some type of legalism. Why? Because the letter of the law will kill you. It will, it'll tell on you in a minute. Nobody has to accuse you. Nobody has to judge you. You will reveal it yourself. And this is the condemnation that his light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. The same darkness that I mentioned in 1 John 1 and 6. Because their deeds were evil. Why were they evil? Well, because they tried to merit themselves through the law. And if I at one point, I'm a guilty in all. So you show me that person that's not walking in victory and I'll show you a person that's been lured away and seduced just like the church in Galatia to another gospel. Why? Because there's something that characterizes the child of God is unshakable and unwavering. Last week we were in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3 verses 10, 11, and 12. Mention that those who depend upon the law to make them right are under a curse. But the scripture says that everyone is cursed who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear, he goes on to say, that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. But the scripture says it's through faith that righteousness that a person is made righteous in life. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. And quickly, last week, I mentioned that I saw Paul's approach in dealing with this issue regarding the law versus grace. For me, nothing short of revelatory genius. And I'll explain that to you because I believe that he just took it and turned it on top of them. The Word says that by our words we're justified, and by our words we're condemned. So he took those very words that they had, and the Word says that you'll set a snare for yourself with your own words. And so he took the snare that the Judaizers had set for somebody else, and he ensnared them with it. And so he used the very tool, the very thing, the law, that they had sought to impose upon these converts as a tool to which he unhinged all of their deception. And let me tell you how he did that. Basically, those living under the standards and the requirements of the law are willfully placing themselves under the curse of the law because the law itself declares that those who fail to keep the law in its entirety are guilty and thus a curse. I'm not going to get into it, but you can look at that in Deuteronomy chapter 27, jump over that chapter break into 28 verse 1. Folks, listen, if I'm not keeping all, there's a blessing associated with keeping all the law. Man, you keep the, all the law, and you know what you're going to be? You're going to be blessed. You're just not going to do it. It's like going to some of these county fairs, and they tell you, you know what? If you can knock over all those balls, you're going to get this gigantic panda. You know what I'm saying? And you're spending all your money, and you're hitting them, and they're never coming down. Well, it's made that you can't win, or you stand this up. And you know what? It's, it's made so you're at a disadvantage. Folks, listen, you're never going to knock them all down if you try to keep the law. But the law says that in Deuteronomy. You do it all, you're going to be blessed. The problem is none of you can do it. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed. And you know what? All of you are going to be cursed. That's what the law said. So Paul flipped the script on them. The second one that is that no one is justified by the law since the law itself teaches that men are justified by faith. You're trying to bring them into a place of justification through the law when the law itself says that men are justified by the faith. And thirdly, that no mixture of the two, law and faith, are possible because they operate independent of one another and are mutually exclusive, and so they ultimately and mutually cancel one another's out. I can't say, listen, I like a little bit of the law, and I like a little bit of the grace. So I'm going to bring these things together. Well, the problem is, if righteousness comes through the law, then the grace of God is of effect. It cancels one another out. And so it's not a both and, it's an either or. Now we come to this portion that we'll look at. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. There's never enough time. Here's what it says in Galatians 3 13. It says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. For when he was hung upon the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures cursed is everyone that is hung upon a tree. Folks, there are certain things that are both stated and implied in this verse uh, that we've got to look at. There are certain things that are, that, that are not stated and are not implied in this passage. And I want to address a few of those here. The first thing is this. Christ rescued us, or he redeemed us from the curse that was pronounced by the law. Folks, I got redeemed. I got rescued from a curse. I am a living, breathing testimony of of someone who got redeemed and someone got rescued. And so I'm not obligated by anything except the testimony of my life to prove that to anybody else. Well, prove to me there's a God. Well, I'm proof. Well, that's not good enough. Well, it's good enough for me. And I'm sorry it's not good enough for you. Move on, buddy. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like if you get pulled over by a highway patrolman, and he's going to walk up this stick or whatever it is on your glass and you roll the window down, I need to see your, your, your driver's license, your proof of insurance, your registration, and you're not going to say, well, are you driving a car back there, buddy? Yeah? Well, I need to see your registration. Well, about 30 seconds later, after you recover from the stun gun, you're going <laughs> to pull those things out. He's not under obligation to show you his registration. He's going to show you that stuff. If you want to take a look at his, his name tag or get his badge number, have at it. But he's not going to show you the registration and proof of insurance. He don't need to do that. Why? Because he's in authority. Right. You see? And so when I'm walking in Christ Jesus, he's the one in authority. And so I don't have to go through all this endless apologetics and all of these things and say, well, science said this and science said that. Well, 15 minutes later, it may change. Or next year, what I'm telling you is God is proof of in and of himself. That's not some circular argument or anything else. That's just the way it is. Period. And so he redeemed me. That's the proof of it. Because what's the proof? I'm redeemed. redeemed. What's the proof? I'm rescued. I'm a living, breathing testimony. You want proof? Just ask me and I'll give you proof. (laughs) Are you redeemed? Yes, I am. Are you redeemed? Yes, I am. Look at the front of my life. It's different than what it was. Proof enough. So we know that. And we know the second thing is by going to the cross, he took the curse of sin upon himself. He did that for me. He paid a debt in a song that he did not owe, and I owed a debt yes. I could not pay. I needed someone to take my sins away, and He did that. He, through going to the cross, took the curse that was meant for me and laid it upon Himself. And the third thing is, cursed is everyone that is hung upon the tree. I want to look at those as time permits tonight to give you some of these things individually that Paul was dealing with with the Galatian church. Why? Because he had to lay those things down because we found the people that had came from a place of freedom and liberty that had been sucked into a trap. And he comes to you, I'm going to remind you. You've been rescued. Okay. Yeah. It'd be like going out here to Daytona Beach and you're out there caught in a rip current and you're drowning. And, some, and, and the, the, the lifeguard swims out there and pulls you to the, to, to the beach. And then somebody looks at you and says, well, you weren't really drowning. Oh, come on. You think, I wasn't? No, you were, you were just having fun. I okay, heard. and you dive right back into it. And the lifeguard said, hey, buddy, don't you realize I just saved your life? Well, that other guy said, you really didn't save my life. Then, you know what, I'd have probably been okay. I said, well, have that and see if that other guy saved you. Yeah. Folks, the Judaizers couldn't save them. They didn't bring them freedom. All they did was put them into bodies. that resulted into death. There's a way, Proverbs 14, 12, to see right to a man. But what? The end the thereof are the ways of death. And so we're looking at these things. Christ has rescued us. He's redeemed us from the curse of that's been pronounced by the law. Let me ask you a question tonight. Like, what exactly was the curse that was declared and pronounced by the law? Because that's what you redeemed me from. So it's like asking somebody on the streets: are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Well, what are you saved from? Uh, uh, hell? Well, really, you were in hell, and all of a sudden somebody snatched you out of hell? Well, not quite. I was going to hell, so it'd be like telling somebody, well, listen, the, 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 the ambulance came. Why? Because I was going to have a heart attack. Well, did you have one? No. Did you have any heart problems? No. But one day I might have. And so the ambulance came and they they resuscitated me. So what did he save me from? Folks, listen. He saves us from a present condition. Not a a future judgment. Do you hear me? And so when I got saved, I didn't save just so I wouldn't go to hell. Because I wasn't there yet. I got saved from me. I got saved because there was a curse that was laid upon me and I was already guilty. I was already judged. I was already set and I had one foot in hell and the other one right here. And so I had already had a pronouncement so he saved Troy from Troy. Not from some despicable background. Folks, listen, y'all, most of y'all know me. Y'all know my testimony. I wasn't some thug or some gamemaker. Never did drugs in my life. Never smoked marijuana. I wasn't some alcoholic. I wasn't this person who said, listen, I need some hope. I need you. No, I just ran into him. Regardless of, of, of how good or how bad I was, in the eyes of Jesus, every one of us looked the same. Yeah. And so regardless if you've come from drugs or not come from drugs, we yeah. all need a Redeemer. Yes. And the deal is the same for every single one of us. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness okay. if we confess those sins. He'll put all of our sins, okay. yours, mine, and everybody in between, as far as the East is from the West, and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. And our testimony isn't how rotten I was. Our testimony is how dumb God is. Yes! Amen? Yes. That's what He liberated us from. Yes, he did. And so He saved me from me. And so the curse was the wrath of God or the wrath of of a righteous God that's being uh, levied or bringing condemnation to those who have offended even in one part of the law. He saved me from that pronouncement. Look, well, sister, there's a reason people walk in condemnation now. Well, there's an ultimate condemnation that's coming. And I shared it earlier out of John 3.19 that this this is the condemnation now. That men love darkness rather than light because their these were evil. Let me ask you a question tonight. What areas of your life, and I'm talking to everyone here, what areas in your life that there's a portion of you that you love the dark side of that rather than the light side of that? Man, I love darkness in that area of my life because if I walk into light, I have to admit But that part of my life is evil. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Some of these things are the biggies. Maybe it's lust of the eyes. That's the the pride of life. Maybe it's not being able to tell the truth. Maybe it's some other type of dissent. Maybe it's laziness or or whatever it is. And I don't want to bring that into line. Otherwise, I'm exposed. If I'm exposed, I'm unrepentant. Then I'm condemned. i got news for you. You're condemned already. So why not allow condemnation to be broken off not because of the testimony of the law against you, which is exposed to you, because of the sufficiency of grace that enables you to walk out from under that curse. And so, speaking of this, and especially in regards to our, being justified in our own nature, uh, Colossians 3, 6, 1 says, he says, for which things, are those things that we had for the sake of God, the, the wrath of God, has come upon the children of disobedience. And so God's wrath is upon us when we're all disobedient to his wooing and his direction for us. And I'm out of time, but I want to share this before I wrap up this. If you want to catch these as we continue, i got, I got more to this portion of that uh, coming up. You can get those offline. But folks, here's here's the thing. We're talking about salvation what we should expect from that. Do we, do we have here This is a pick on anybody's the theology. Of it whatsoever, but I'm not, sort of, I just want to bring something that I believe God uh, brought to me. Do we have anybody that, that would consider themselves one saved, all saved? Anybody? Unconditionally eternal security? Well, how are we? As I, I say because I know what Pastor Alex obviously doesn't, doesn't teach that uh, here. I, I don't teach that. I don't believe that. I did believe that back many, many years ago because I had to. Because my wife demanded me teach that. Or not teach it. I wasn't pastoring at the time. But it, it demanded that I live. Uh, I I believe that because I lived a life. If I didn't believe that, I was sunk. Yeah. I got news for you. I was sunk. Yeah. But here, here's something that, as is, is I was at the hotel room today, just to study and reading and meditating upon the Word of God about that and why Jesus had to come and snatch that curse off of us. Now, when did the curse enter? Not a true question. Oh, man. Through one man's sin. What? Sin All it. were made sinners, right? Yeah. But through one man's righteousness, many will become righteous. So the curse came when Adam and Eve fell. Right? No debate, no discussion. So when we're dealing with an issue of what's saved, always saved, or unconditional eternal security, when God created Adam and Eve, how did he create them? In his image. In his image. image. So would you have considered them saved or unsaved? Oh, like would probably like You would create created them as righteous. Yeah, right. They were not righteous. But he said, In the day that you will sin, you sin, you will die. Mm-hmm. The right. wages of sin is death. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, there's hearts to stop on the spot. Mm-hmm. But sin entered in, it required a redeemer. And so they went from saved to unsaved. Right. Right. Now, now, folks, listen, I'm trying to explain the the. The error of once saved, always saved for years. But it was just a day that I thought about this going all the way back to the beginning. Mm. So in my screen I said, listen, from the beginning, once saved, always saved. Wasn't even the truth. Yeah. Because yeah. they were once saved, then suddenly they were lost. They were removed from their promise. Wow. They were removed from that place, and it required a redeemer. Wow. Folks, true. the curse yeah. came in then, but the curse causeless, the word says, did not come. And everything was cursed as a result. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die upon the cross of Calvary. There was not enough hoops. There were not enough animal sacrifices. There were not enough commandments for us to follow that would somehow justify us in the presence of God. Sorry I'm out of time tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, Lord God, for to come into this house, Lord God, for this this, this people, Lord God, that I, I know love you and desiring after you, Lord God. I just ask you to bless this place, bless this church, Lord God. Just let it be a big and wide in this community, Lord God. Strengthen the pastors, Lord God, the leaders here, Lord God. Just encourage them in the faith.